Hey, Wonderfuls, welcome to episode 468 of the JV Club with my preview boy of summer, Hal Sparks. Just wanted to give you a little sampling of the summer to come. Hal has a bunch of shows coming up and I wanted to push his episode forward so that people would have more opportunities to see him, his band. Of course, you can check out his morning show. There's just a lot going on. So I hope everyone is doing well and enjoy this episode with Hal Sparks. Oh, it's going to get worse. That's what I'm hearing you say. I'm hearing that the future is only no, going to no, get no, worse. No, no, oh, this will be a good thing. No, We're no, going to be no. happy. Oh, oh, by by no means is it going to get worse. It's going to get uh, way, way better. <laughs> uh, it's just going to be bumpy along the way right. as all technological advances work. I don't know if you know this, but a long time ago, people couldn't read. And then a bunch of people went, everybody should read. And they went, oh, dear God, everyone can read now. They're all maniacs. You know what? Maybe we should pick who can read and who can't. You're exactly and right. Then they, and, and then after a while, after a few people went, okay, I'm going to read this on your behalf. And then after about, you know, a few dozen years, yeah. we'll let more of you read and then more of you read. And then maybe everybody can read one day. But, uh, you know, we had a real Tower of Babel problem and we had to dial it yeah. back. So all technology has had, you know, great leaps forward and and giant falls back. That's a great. Uh, no, you're you're totally back. right. I just I just read uh, Susan Orlean's The Library Book, where she sort of goes into the history of the very very specific, very wonky LA library and the fact that like okay. it, it, it there was it it was burned mostly down in 1986, mm-hmm. but that didn't get a lot of press and da, da, da. anyway she really wonked out about it and got like super into the weeds in it and it's a great book but one of the All things right. that she does sort of catalog is like this transition from okay we're gonna have public a public place for people to come and read of course we mean men like with everything else the trajectory the trajectory right. is sort of like with every like okay only men only men only men only men one woman only men, one woman, only men, one woman. Right. And then eventually, like, wait, maybe, li- oh, this woman that we, it's one person we let not just read, but be a librarian is doing kind of a great job. Let's fire yeah, her and okay. bring in some more men. And then gradually right. it's like, oh, now, oh, sorry, uh, librarians are for ladies. Like, that's a girl's job. And then now it's like mm-hmm. sort of settled. But it only took, you know, 200 years before it and sort all of I'm figured itself is- out. As as soon as they let all the women in and they didn't make any more rules about it, it got burned That's to the right. ground. That's um, right. Uh, uh, it and, just and from, settled down from the ins from the uh-huh, inside. Uh-huh. And again, most of the you know what's funny is a lot of this is talked about in terms of chauvinism towards women that women are not capable, women are weak, women are when most of these rules were set because men are pigs right. and men are aware. <laughs> men are very aware that we're pigs. We know the yeah. pigs among us. We know our own, uh, you know, definable piggish behavior that we are always working to manage. Yep, yep. And we're very aware that we know at least three dudes at every stage in our life who have the same behaviors and aren't trying to manage them at yes. all. So one of the reasons why we go, okay, is the guy's only space <laughs> because if we bring any women in here, Gary, <laughs> Dave, Frank, Remember last time? Okay, no whip. It's like, I mean, the biggest, the best example is ships. It used to be bad luck to have a woman on a ship. Do you think that had anything to do with the fact that all the men would be choking each other to death and throwing each other overboard and that there'd be, a, you know, like 
foreheads on all the masks as one guy was like, I'm the last man, you have to sleep with me. Like none of, we mistake so much historical chauvinism yeah. for men just being aware of their own shortcomings. I appreciate that so much. Look you're at it. Wrong. I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm not all. wrong. You're look not at how men right are acting all. now. Women can go <sighs> anywhere now and look what jackasses men yeah. are all of a sudden. Yeah. That's a good point. All right. Let me ask you this. I watch tried. watch this. Watch this slick segue that all no right. one ever would have seen coming if I hadn't bravely identified <sighs> it as a segue. Uh-huh. What about like school systems? Like I have so I've been doing my podcast for 10 years. I have talked to mm-hmm. so many people who have gone to like specifically gendered schools for high school yeah. and then people who yeah, yeah. went to boarding schools that were co-ed and people went to public school like me just a just a slapdash old regular old right. public school right. system high school. And everyone has such varying opinions on whether it was good or bad for them to go to school with their mm-hmm. gender, not to mention, like, you know, right. if you don't identify as either, like, screw you, we're going to pick one for you or you're going to be where you are. Sure. But um, do you right. feel like, like, did you did you go to a public school or were you one of those kids who went to? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you didn't have the, like, private or, or you know, like the Catholic all-boys boy, school. Because I wanted to be uh. curious in case you were like, no, actually, like that people, the guys did keep it together. I, like they did keep it together because they were no, no moving around. No, not at all. No, not at all. And um, and that part of navigating that, I think, mature you, matures you a little better for navigating it as an adult because you will develop skill sets during certain windows of your life that will aid you in dealing with social circumstances going forward. It's why like kids are really crappy liars when they're when they're little. Yeah because they're trying on the liar's hat. Yeah, yeah. Now, with, without the ability to lie, you will be murdered <laughs> as an adult by someone, yeah. a loved one, a stranger, someone in traffic. If you don't have the ability to do managed white lying yeah. in your life and not just blurt whatever the hell you are thinking at that yeah. moment, like a toddler, <laughs> you'll be killed. And, and no matter what, era you live in. I don't care if it's 2000 years in the future where we're all in like satient <laughs> bubbles of goo as we float beyond gravity over the earth's surface, you know, heat, heat into the great ohm or whatever the, the matrix thing is going to be. But if you can't learn to lie, yeah. you're going to die. Yeah. And kids <laughs> are terrible at it. And then they get clever and subtle and they try sure. things and all that kind of stuff. Same thing is true in school in your interaction with the opposite sex, or in some cases, the same yeah. sex. If you are, you can argue that the issue that, you know, in, in mixed gender schools, if you're in a mixed gender school and you're heterosexual, for example, or you're a homosexual, for example, you will have different dynamic experiences navigating who you like and who you don't than if you're uh, if you're gay and in an all boys school, if you're a lesbian and in an all girls school, and there's a psychological pressure to some degree on being, can you imagine only going to a school filled with people you're attracted to? If, if I went to an all girls school as yeah. the one male there, uh-huh. I would, it would drive me insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it would be, a, it would be, and I would, I would have no skills to find a, a mate outside of school once I graduated. Yeah. I would I would think, well, it's like fish in a barrel, I think, right? right? Everybody's lonely and I'm the only game in town, right? Right. Um, but if you get out, once you get out of school, 
and you're interacting with adults of all different makeups, you you you, you don't have that superpower anymore yeah. that you might have had in that singular gendered school. Yeah. Um. So I I mean I will argue that it's always better to have the interactions that you experience as children as close to possible as the interaction you're going to have in the future because you're going to need those skills later. Yeah. That's and That said, I have a son and it has absolutely occurred to me that during a window of his, of his upbringing, specifically middle school and, and the first year of high school, which I think should be a five-year chunk, um, yeah. that would be a good time to have him go to an all-boys school. Right. And then move to, you know, interacting with the opposite sex uh, going forward yeah. after that. That, yeah. that would be a thought to me. You don't do it the whole time. Right. That would be a bit weird. Right. Um, but part of the time is not a bad idea. Camp, you know, Boy Scout camp was really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have wanted to go to an all boys school, but there are times when being a boy in your total boyness is yeah. really helpful. Yeah. without anybody you might embarrass yourself around while yeah. you're figuring it out. Yeah, that's part yeah. of what's that's part of what social media kind of ruins a little bit hmm. is you don't get a screw up window. And that screw up window is what you try on around your trusted mates and whether they're all girls who will get what's going on biologically for you or all boys who will get what's going on biologically with you or all gay or lesbian kids or whatever, like that group having a click that gets you while you figure out how to deal with the rest of the world yeah is crucial yeah um and i don't know that kids have as much of that leeway these days because they're kind of like all broadcast television <sighs> yeah. personalities yeah it's such a mm, yeah. yeah do you i mean is that something cuz you obviously you've been in you've been on camera for for many many years and right. it, has it been interesting cuz i've only you know i sort of came like i was watching you do stuff not, and we're not think we're that different in age. Hold on, and I've always and I've always been Wait. watching Hal. I've always been <laughs> right. watching. You've seen right. the Truman Show. Hey, in this case, there you have right. one audience member. I know that sounds right. weird, but my dad is Kristoff, and makes total he sense. Actually, wanted to keep and me entertained. Great. It just it makes it, it makes me uh, not regret all the sit-ups I've done because uh, <laughs> you know I I don't ever want to catch myself getting out of the shower and go oh. <laughs> um, so that's, I work very hard to make sure that any peeping Toms or voyeurs in my neighborhood, if I accidentally leave the drapes open, aren't shocked and appalled. I yeah. think it's, it's the least you can do for your what neighbors. A, what a weird concept. The, the idea that like we get to the point with social media, we get to the point with living public lives, that it's not as simple as you make the decision that you want to be available to however many tens or millions of people that you are putting yourself on YouTube for, but that it's like almost like a sister city or like a pen pal thing where it's like, and as you you know, at age three, you will be assigned a child uh, that you will watch all the time. And then you won't, they won't watch you. A different child will be watching you. So someone will always be watching someone, but just one. It's it's little brother. Yeah. It's little brother. Like everybody was so busy. Everybody was so worried about big brother. They're going to have cameras and satellites. They can see through walls. And it has nothing to do with some jerk across the restaurant going, Look at that guy's hat. Look at his hat. What a dummy. Derp and a derp. That's what little brother is. This is little brother. Yeah. Little brother is way more effective little and cheaper. More effective. Yeah. Yeah. Than big brother. Yeah. Um, so and and some governments learned that and some governments haven't, and yeah. some are trying to ignore both. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. I you know, 
interestingly enough, I've always felt on camera my entire life. Yeah. Like I have what I would call a performance personality. Uh-huh. Um, and maybe it's the whole Libra, you know, we've got to put on appearances, yeah. Uh-huh. One, Uh-oh, one that's go. not a dangerously mid-Atlantic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Wonderful. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, uh, you know, behave yourself in public kind of idea. And yeah. so that that translates at some point into it not necessarily being a public act because uh, you feel, I think, somewhat unethical if you're a caring person at one point to have your personal and public personas differ greatly. Mm-hmm. And so if you're uh, that and that's why you teach kids to be polite in public, because you hope it will inform their own behavior, not just, in, you know, with their own family members in private, but with their own internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. That's Show a, great a little point. respect, be a little respectful. Don't talk down to people like that. Don't, you know, watch your language, those kind of things, because ultimately the person you speak to the most is you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your behavior will, you know, reflect that. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Where were you a teenager, for example? uh, I grew up in Kentucky. I went to, uh, like, from when I was a kid um, in the sticks in a place called Peaks Mill, Kentucky. One road, 46 people. Mm -hmm. And then when I was 14, I moved to Chicago to live with my dad. Um, My parents split up when I was 11. And he moved to Florida first. We spent summers with him. And then he moved to Chicago and said, if you want to go to, I was in a bit of trouble. I was uh-huh. a, I was a fighty punchy boy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in a performative someone might be watching. I better do yes, this subway. In a in a in a if I better look good doing it, and therefore I do, and therefore I'm gonna get in even more trouble uh-huh. because I'm getting an <laughs> ego boost out of n- knocking out kids bigger than me. Sure. And so it was it was gonna be a problem. In Kentucky, it was like I just around me, I was watching what I would call the great wind down. Like everybody around me was like a cool, fun kid, cool, fun kid, cool, fun kid, drinking and crap and crap life and down. Yeah. That's where I seem I seemed to like life in Kentucky was, you know, about to go over the hill yeah. for me. And so Chicago was like a, a even though I would have rather lived with my mom in a lot of ways. And my dad and I didn't get along terribly well at the time. Hmm. It seemed like that's where my path laid out before me. Yeah. And it it was. I can trace it back to an actual moment. Oh yeah. I yeah, my my aunt was Belgian. She passed away, but she was Belgian. She's uh uh she and my uncle met in Germany uh before the wall came down. Um and she spoke uh he, she spoke French, German and English. He spoke uh or she spoke French and German, no English. He spoke English and German, no French. And her natural language because she was Belgian was French. So they taught each other the language, they fell in love, and he was bringing her magazines, uh, sneaking them in in his pants legs into East Berlin. Oh, and wow. the And one day some CIA dudes showed up at his door and said, they know the next time you go through, they're gonna kill you. So we're gonna ship you back home. And he sent word to her and she snuck through and they went home and they lived, uh, you know, they moved to Nashville and she taught French there and all that stuff. So I had a head start on French is the yeah. short story of that. And so, I it was the, I was a crap student because I was always bored and far too smart for the room and too convinced of my own superiority to do you know anything but test well and so uh, the only class I got straight A's in was French and because of that uh, I won a scholarship on the school trip to France that they took our our class on mm-hmm. so me and this other kid Brian Spizak ended up where our French was so good we we could we went for free 
when we yeah. were buddies, but everybody else hated us. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was a, I was a, a sweaty peach fuzz redneck kid, kid, you know, with a crap mustache and sounded like Elvis. And um, so we went to France. So we went to Nice and Nîmes and Avignon and Versailles, and we went to Paris and we went to Monaco. And when we went to Monaco, I had never, you have to understand, I went to a elementary school, all classes, one room, all four, all five yeah. grades, same room. Yeah. And um, when I, I, if you've ever watched like any of the old Sean Connery Bond films, they always end up in Monaco and it's uh -huh. just gorgeous. French yeah. Riviera is just stupid, beautiful, rich cars, like Lamborghinis everywhere, Rolls Royces. It was like something out of a film. And they gave us two hours to run around because apparently there are no serial killers in Europe. A bunch of teenagers <laughs> running around like, ah, they won't disappear. That doesn't, that only happens in Alabama. And so everybody went and ran around and just like bought souvenirs and looked at the beach and blah, blah, blah. And I walked in, there was this courtyard kind of thing outside this giant casino where we had parked and it had four steps going down in the center of it, this beautiful fountain and all this stuff. And I sat down on the steps and I cried the whole time. Hmm. I did bawled my eyes out because I knew I couldn't just go back to Kentucky and live my life. Yeah. This world was too big and full of too much beauty and craziness and fascination. And I was like, I love my mom and, I, and my sister, but I can't stay there. I can't do it. I'm going to die. Yeah. I felt like I was going to die if I stayed in Kentucky. Yeah. So when I came back, I told my mom I'm moving to Chicago with dad. And so I went up there and it took me about six months to realize stand up was a job that you could actually have instead of just a magic career somebody picks you for. And I just started at it. Just start, just start chipping away. It's the job, right? It's, yeah. it, 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 so I became a blue collar artist that that weekend when I moved up there. And how old were you? 14. God, yeah, you right. really were a little lo a little <laughs> prodigy. Yeah. A little peach fuzz prodigy. That's right. Well, you know, the <laughs> trick, is, you know, talent is just is simply falling in love with something before everybody else does. Yeah. You get a head start. Yeah. You know, there are no piano prodigies that didn't grow up in a house with two par parents that play piano and a beautiful piano in the house. Right. It doesn't happen that way. Yeah. You, you know, it's just you've been dicking around with it since you were six years old. And so you're eight years ahead of every other 12 year old, you know, by the yeah. time you, you know, and so that's that. Okay, we're gonna take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hi, my name is Graham Clark and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording remotely, and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about uh, this... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. And okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. Yeah, there was such a weird confluence of things that happened that were like cooking in my brain when you were talking uh, mm -hmm. because I, the first thing that popped into my mind, and I promise I did hear everything you said as well as having these thoughts. No, uh, that's what I do. <laughs> was, I, I trigger thought storms. You've, you triggered a major thought storm for me, and but everything came together, hence the confluence. Right. Um, I, what I thought for a second was like, oh, I want to ask how what his first like sense of the Berlin Wall was, but of course it was probably 
like a direct reference through your aunt. Whereas for yeah. me, here's part of the confluence. For me, the first memory, I and I never think about this, and I just thought of it right as you were talking about it. Mm-hmm. My first memory of any sense of there being a Berlin Wall was seeing <laughs> the movie Octopussy, like yeah, as a child and not understanding. Like the whole beginning sequence, Roger Moore is doing something with a circus and there's a thing and there's, I'm I'm right. pretty sure I'm thinking, right? Am I thinking of the right yes. James Bond movie? Yeah. And that he's, there's this sense of like, oh, he's get shot trying to get over the wall, the wall from right. East Berlin to West Berlin. And, and, and that really was the sort of first, like, no one was talking to me about the Berlin Wall. Right. And so that was like, I remember being like, uh... Dad, could you explain to me where (laughs) is this? So it was very funny that you then immediately were like, anyway, Monica's like a James Bond movie. Yeah, Um, right. And then my mom taught French and I got a scholarship because of that and went to the Loire Valley when I was in high school. So that was just a real crackling thought story. I'm going to take back some of the things I've said about you. You've earned it. Oh my goodness! Thank you. Do you want to let me know which ones you're you're taking back off, or is it going to be surprise? No, no, it's not important. Yeah, no. In in all honesty, I I knew you were the goods from day one. (laughs) You got Moxie, kid. Uh, Right? Yeah. No, it's um, I have oddly enough, uh, like physical connections to a lot of historical stuff. You know, in my life, you know, having grown up in a split state from the Civil War in Kentucky. Yeah. You know, having my aunt and uncle literally bond because of their separation by, uh, you know, the the wall. Uh, There's a you know, I was in uh, a a group that reenacted when I was nine years old, the uh, Kentucky militia militia coming to the rescue of the. Uh, the Union against in the Revolutionary War in the Battle of Virginia of Richmond in Virginia. Uh-huh. So we would travel over there, and I played oh the Water goodness. Boy in it when I was, you know, seven, eight, nine years old each year. It's a gig. Marched in the parade. Yeah, uh-huh. so that, it's like I just always felt again. I kind of always feels like I'm always uh, like, and maybe grow, growing up slightly religious as well. You know, uh, I was born again when I was 11. You don't even have to in our church in Kentucky till you're 13. And, you know, my, my thoughts about that have, have evolved and grown since then. But, uh, you know, that awareness of like, someone might judge me for what I'm doing right mm-hmm. now. I am not, I don't find that unhealthy at all. <laughs> as You know, maybe, maybe women don't find that necessary. But as a guy, I, uh, you, you might want to be more you know, strict religious practice about young man, you know, dad in the sky who might put you in a headlock and, and leave you in the shed for a couple hours. Right. Uh, that that thought isn't necessarily bad. Yeah. That's a really good point. That's a really until good point. You, until you can be trusted, uh-huh. you should be trusted. So your thoughts evolved on it. Is, do you kind of not to say mush that in with the other stuff that you were sort of like felt felt not too smart for the room, but to feel sort of like, hey, no, 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 I get what, like where you're expecting me to be in two years to get born again, I'm there. Like I'm I'm a quick study, I'm a, I'm a quick kid, my brain works quickly. Like well, sure. why, I mean, why I, don't I just jump in now, whether or well, not ultimately it was for you? Yeah, but the time I was 12, I'd read the Bible all the way through twice, had been to the church camp for three years in a row and uh one of the biggest lessons i pulled from it was that jesus when he was a youth was an irritant to the deacons 
because he knew more about the Bible than they did and uh -huh. they hated him for it. And I was like, be like Jesus. Uh -huh. And so I, I was like, I know more about this than you do. So that, I was a bit of a wise ass even in Sunday school. So um, that translated outward, because if you're not afraid of God's own personal representative in the neighborhood getting pissed at you, you're not really going to be worried about a math teacher or a vice principal. So I felt like I was on, you know, to quote the Blues Brothers, I'm on a mission from God. And uh -huh. so... And, and and then the the upside was is that I even with like feeling like I was leaning towards being a performer and that seemed the natural arc of my life that it was still a service job hmm. and maybe that was informed somewhat by my you know my uh upbringing in that regard where I felt like you know I'm not as a stand-up I do not nor have I ever felt that I'm there for the audience to love me mm -hmm. or do I need their laughter to validate me? Mm -hmm. I have never felt that. I That thought even seems absurd and alien to me when people assume that's how comedians are. And I have no doubt some of them are like that. Some, I mean, we wouldn't have The Bachelor if a dozen you know, people or so in the near vicinity didn't feel that way all the time, right? <laughs> right. So, I, but from my point of view, I always felt it was closer to being a nurse or a massage therapist or something like that for people who needed it. And I felt like the laughter is more indicative of whether or not I'm doing my job well. Yeah, I love that. I think that's great. I think that's yeah. also that is a more that is a kinder way to describe stand up than than people do when they say exactly what you yeah. said. It's just like, oh, it's all about ego. It's all about sort of, you know, like, yeah, winning. I don't even know how like it's a win in some way. I don't even most of the people who think that way only have a pedestrian view of stand up in general yeah. or believe whatever story they've been sold over the years. But if you read Steve Martin's book, if you if you look at, uh, you know, Richard Pryor's uh, Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling or any of his backstory, it's not where it comes from. Yeah. The, the laughter feels good and you do get, you know, it is a symbiotic relationship yeah. to some degree with the audience, but it's not like you're spackling a gap in your soul with it right. all the time. And it's, that's such a like low res, that's a stranger's definition of mm. your love for something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like if you loved horses and you loved racing horses and riding horses, and raising horses, and you'd been around them your whole life and your parents were in them or whatever. And somebody went, you only like horses because you can't have human friends. And you're like, <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? You know what I mean? This is Except something for I... the one person who goes, it's totally true. Right, yeah. Well, You've seen through me. Well, I've seen people like you too uh -huh. much, right? You know, my reaction on it. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like somebody picks whatever your, whatever favorite band you have or that you listen to or anything you love. Yeah. And, and, and grinds it down to some sort of pathetic, neo-Darwinistic, you only do it for the endorphin rush, you know, right. which is such a chintzy view of yeah. humanity. Yeah. which they never seem to have for their own humanity. They uh -huh. <laughs> they are elevated. They're above all this. That's how they can see it. But you are a, are a gerbil just trying to get a pellet. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, you know, I have a lot of conversations about stand-up, obviously, like sort of being in the comedy community and stuff. And, and I, I, the main thing I always say about stand-up is I couldn't do it 
because I don't I, I never had the sort of will to push past feeling like I wasn't doing well. And again, not so much yeah. about the endorphins, but and that and that is sort of why improv like called to me so much, because yeah. it was like, oh, a bunch of people. We can all take responsibility for how this right. goes. It's like, yeah. And right. like someone will rescue me and I will rescue someone. So yeah. the service will be happening before the very eyes of the audience, which you are so right, is also part of this symbiotic experience. Yeah. And, and it's one of the it's beautiful huge. things about one of the most beautiful things about studying at Second City was the primary lesson that you should always assume your audience is as smart or smarter than you are. Yeah. And that seems to be lost on a lot of uh, folks that I would say come from the West Coast uh, side of uh, improv study. Um, and that is valuable in all your interactions because mm-hmm. you'll never talk to down, down to someone or condescend to them in your life if you assume that now... Some people might not might take them a minute to catch up, and you they might go tap the brakes. What are you talking about? Yeah, but better that than the other way around, where you're just offering every gift you have to the world artistically, as if well, it's you know it's pearls, but they're swine. They uh-huh. like these kind of things, you know, <laughs> right? Um, which is which means you're rude for a living, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, That's yeah. very odd, right? Yeah. So you assume the best in your audience. You assume they want the best out of the show because they came there to relax and laugh. Yeah. And so that's what feeds creativity. That's why yes and in improv is probably the greatest gift it can give you is the concept of of not negating somebody's reality or premise right from the get go and going, yeah, and we can do this. Right. Which, is, you know, is how all human progress has has happened in terms of long term progress. Occasionally you have to do a solid no, as you'll uh-huh. see, as the Ukrainians are doing to Vladimir Putin right now. Correct. That's helpful, but let's not rule that out. Correct. That's, that said, though, artistically, the uh, removing the editor, especially in the early part, and improv is instant, so it is the birth of a comic idea. Yeah. Learning that ability is incredibly valuable. Um, and it makes you, I think, a better friend. And I personally think Second City is the best acting school there is in the world because it teaches you, you know, to be present, listen yes. to the person Listening. you're interacting with. Right. Huge. Right. Huge. Just be there and stay in character and don't have an agenda. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and to, uh, that goes hand in hand with what you were saying about what you assume of your audience. And, and on a one-on-one basis, if you're meeting someone new from anywhere, like yeah. doing the listening thing is going to do you a lot more good than assuming you know where someone's coming from and just mm-hmm. like opening up and letting those lip flaps go before you have any kind of sense of who hey. you're talking to, what they've gone through, what their right. life has been like and all and that. Then you, yeah, because you might just get lost in a thought storm. And miss half of what the other person said. Or you might get lost in a thought storm, but also hear what everyone said. Hear it's everything. True, hear possible. everything and remember everything. Ass- Call it back. Ass- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm awful. Let me ask you this. Uh, yeah. We're, so when you are a teenager and you are a bit, you got a bit of sass and you, uh, you're maybe kind of blowing off some stuff, but the stuff that you have, that, you know, that you sort of enjoy, you're, you're letting sing a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. How does that play in with like how you respond to people you're attracted to? Are you, because I have friends, you know, who are like the most confident class clowns and are brilliant and then get, you know, one-on-one with somebody that they had a crush on in high school and they become a totally different human being. And then people who sort of ratchet it up even more to sort of protect mm-hmm. themselves. Like, where did you fall in that? 
Yeah, uh, I never had that problem. I, yeah. I was always like, I grew up a Kiss fan, so I was always convinced of my own sexual energy from when I was <laughs> what, nine years old, because I got my first Kiss album when I was five. So, you know, I was prancing around singing King of the Nighttime World and stuff when I was, you know, seven. <laughs> so when it came to, you know, finally, uh, you know, hooking up or meeting people or whatever, um, basically it just mattered if I thought they were worth the chase. Yeah. To some degree. And I was, I, I found that there was a tremendous amount of eased confidence in the fact that um, I didn't need the attention. I thought I was, you know, and I've, again, it kind of fits that service mentality. Like I feel like, you know, part of being, a, you know, a guy is being a good boyfriend. You know, not, yeah. you know, not a, not subservient or kowtowy or weird or, you know, uh, um, you know, emotionally, uh, you know, sublimated to who your partner is, because I wouldn't expect that of any woman I was with. Yeah. Right. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So why would I be any way? Con- I, I was always like looking for confident to confident. Mm-hmm. If you're interested, I'm interested but anything shy of that, I don't have to chase you around. And so I ended up and I, you know, I grew up in an era where, you know, a lot of my sexuality and my uh, my attitude towards relationships was fed by the music that I listened to. And a lot of it was based on um, like the assumption, the joke about Spinal Tap and some other stuff is that like the sexuality of hair metal and, and hard rock was always kind of sexist or or was looked down on women when in fact, if you listen to the songs, it is a coaxing music. Hmm. It is much more closer to how a male peacock behaves than somebody who is trying to bait someone or, or you know, roofie them or neg them like modern, you know, yeah. pickup artists do. Yeah. And so the idea was there were all these kind of like, I'm your backdoor man stories, you know, uh-huh. like while your guy's out, you're really going to come to me. That was, <gasps> right. that's, that's the essence of, you know, from Aerosmith to Kiss to Winger to you know all Rat, all these uh-huh. bands that I listened to in high school, that was the story. Hmm. And you and that was the story you tell in your sexuality, which means you don't have to pursue it all. Like I'm very confident uh, that you know when people are like, I don't know, should I look at my past? Did I say or do anything that's going to get me canceled? I never had to worry about that because I was like, basically, I would walk out on the porch, ring the dinner bell. And if nobody came, I'm like, I'm just going to go inside, fix myself some dinner. Uh-huh. And that was <laughs> terrible, terrible analogy. And yet perfect. <laughs> but the idea, right. But the idea being that, um, you know, if she's interested, she'll stay interested. And it's my job to keep her interested by being interesting, mm-hmm. not by manipulation or jealousy or any of that. Like the, it just didn't fit well to me. It made no sense. Yeah. So all of what, like, in my behavior, it was very informed by charm works with an audience, charm works with other people. And it's something that even if nothing comes back from that person, you gave them something and you can split. If I'm fun at a party and flirty and silly and 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 then I'm like, see ya, that actually worked way better than like, hey, can I get your number sometime? Can I, right. you know, and, <laughs> right. you know, and I, you know, I had my, my buddy, Dan, at one point, he he'd been my friend through like three girlfriends that I'd seen. Yeah, because uh, I and we knew each other in Chicago, and then I moved out to L.A. and he came out like a year later, and I was, and he said to me, "He's gay," but he was like, 
you are not attractive enough for the women that you date. What is going on? Because my girlfriends were really pretty. And he was like, I don't understand. Because, you know, partly it was just his gay amazement, I suppose. Uh-huh. His gay amazement. Yeah, right. But he was like, he was like, how, how do you get these girls? And I was like, A, piss off. <laughs> you jerk. I thought you were my friend. And secondly, it was because... And and I my answer was, and this is something I'd heard my buddy Tom say at one point. My answer was, it's because I'm the goods. Yeah, it's not. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and and especially now I'm 52, and I and at this point, like in the shape that I'm in, and and the current state of affairs, I'll stand next to any 22 year old dude in a club and not worry that they're gonna go, oh, who's the old guy, right? Yeah, yeah, and that that's partly because of I care for my own physical person and I take care of myself and yada, yada, yada. But it's also because I would never inflict that on my, my girlfriend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I didn't like, oh, I got one now. Uh-huh. now I just let myself go. There's this old comedian named Gamble Rogers. If you don't know his work, he's a wonderful, wonderful man who died saving people from drowning. Hmm. He called himself the, the Troubadour Emeritus of Ocklawaha County, Florida. And he used to play a guitar like finger pick while he spoke in a way that was so uh, amazingly talented that it looked like two different people. Like his hands just didn't mm. pay attention to what the fact that he was talking. Yeah. And he uh, he had a character that he used to talk about named Still Bill. And uh, Still Bill had a quote at one time. He said, I, I think I'll get married here in 1992. I'm tired of holding my stomach in. And I always thought that was hilarious. And I was like, not going to happen to me. (laughs) But that's, I mean, honestly, if you feel like you, your job in any relationship, if you have one, and I think you do, is to be a worthwhile uh, expenditure of another human being's time. The one thing they will never get back. Yeah. And if you're not that, go work on yourself until your, their time spent with you is of more worth than anything else they could be doing. Yeah. Genuinely, not out of ego, not out of like, but like uh, um, emotionally, everything. Like, yeah, time spent with you is better than, you know, my hobbies, my whatever. Sure. And you're fine. And then you, and then once you do that, once that's where you're coming from, then you just sit in that confident space and human beings who are worth being around and a bunch who aren't, will start showing up and you will just have to go through the difficult and adult process of picking which one you're going to be with. And sometimes you will make a mistake and you will date someone for a while that is not worth you, what you're giving out in the world. And you have to come to that conclusion, do something about it and go find somebody who is. Yeah. And everybody's path is like that, including the people you're going to meet. There was a girl, and this is uh, is my last, there was a girl in high school who I really liked. I didn't know her that well. She was in another group of people, but I thought she was really pretty. And it was like me going up and talking to her would have taken effort. We didn't go to the same parties. Had we been at the same one, I'd be like, what's up? Yeah. But um, we we had one class together and then we didn't. And I was like, yeah, she's all right. You know, you know, and then over the summer, she died in a car accident. Oh, she was in a drunk driving accident. She oh, was in Jesus. She was in an argument with her boyfriend. They'd oh, both no. been drinking. She got in her car and crashed it on Sheridan Road. 
And I have a song on my first album called Indian Summer, and it's about it. And it's about the torturous feeling that I had after that, that if she had been my girlfriend, A, she wouldn't have been drinking because we I don't drink and therefore we wouldn't have more than likely. Um, and she would have gotten home safely if mm. we'd have just been closer friends. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I lost all the big like, what if, you know, what if I approach her and she doesn't like me and blah, blah, blah. like because I didn't approach that girl in that time frame. And it wasn't like, again, because of shyness. It was just more like life mechanics yeah, that I get caused that. us not to. And I I have always had, and I still have, the feeling that had I acted sooner, there's a very strong possibility she would be alive. Yeah. And so I I believe I believe regret is incredibly valuable hmm. if it informs your behavior in a positive sense. Yeah. If you do things below your own standard, or you do things that uh you don't do things that are of your standard because of, you know, just laziness or other behaviors that are less than how you would like to be. And, and things go wrong from that, that regret, that nugget of regret that you can carry around can inform your behavior going forward and make you a better person. It's the never again principle on an, on a personal level. Sure. And I have that in, you know, in a, in a bunch of areas and, um, and you know nobody's record is perfect and it's sort of even absurd to say that i almost apologize for saying that ridiculousness but the but you you find those moments that you regretted where you could have been a little better and then going forward you're like all right now i'm not i'm not going to miss those opportunities again yeah not just for my own good but for the good of others and and the mixture of life what pond ripple did i not start sure yeah, well, I mean, I think that that goes in keeping with uh, with everything else that you've sort of said about what your what your baseline is for what your relationship to yourself is. If you mm-hmm. are a person who has a very low opinion of yourself, the way you respond to regret is going to look very different than yes. somebody who ha- loves themselves and believes in themselves and can take that and use it as a tool instead mm-hmm. of using it as the tool that crushes you down further. Well, I think that, that's the you difference know what I mean? regret and guilt. There you go. The, there the you diff, go. The, that's why there's two different words. Well said. Right. Um, regret and guilt are two different things. Most people, when they talk about regret, they're talking about guilt. Guilt is not useful unless uh, you've done something that awful and guilt must be the overpowering emotion. If you're the BTK killer mm-hmm. or you're OJ Simpson or you're, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer or you're somebody who's been paroled after they murdered three people, guilt is regret won't be enough yes yeah guilt will be necessary you will have to carry a ball of guilt around with you the rest of your life to keep you from doing that again because you are capable of that level of awful right normal interaction regret is just that ping of looking back at a missed opportunity or a failure and saying it's a memory it's a you know a reminder yeah of of that I am capable of doing and being better. And I, and when I didn't, um, I don't like how it turned out. It's yeah. that simple. You've got, it sounds like you've got some helpful internal tattoos. If yeah, well, I have no that. external ones. So See? I guess they have to be, yeah. That's right. They're on right. the inside. They are, they are. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. 
Did your neighbor back into your car? Bring that case to Judge Judy. Think the mailman might be the real father? Give that one to Judge Mathis. But does your mom want you to flush her ashes down the toilet at Disney World when she passes away? Now that's my jurisdiction. Welcome to the court of Judge John Hodgman, where the people are real, the disputes are real, and the stakes are often unusual. If I got arrested for dumping your ashes in the Jungle Cruise, it would be an honor. I don't want to be part of somebody getting a super yacht. I don't know at what point you want to go into this, but we've had a worm bin before. Available free right now at MaximumFun.org. Judge John Hodgman, the court of last resort when your wife won't stop pretending to be a cat and knocking the clean laundry over. I want to get into this mash game with you. I don't know if uh, <laughs> if anyone on Lori's side, like Jeff, told you about this. Give me three places in the world. Let's pretend we can teleport you there so you don't have to consider travel when you're thinking about it. Three mm-hmm. places in the world you'd love to have another home. Um, Scotland, um, the North Shore of Chicago, and I suppose uh, I almost said something for somebody else in that regard, and I take that back. But um, third one's a tough one. France. I yeah. uh, my dad has a friend who uh, is a handmade knife maker, and he has a an old winery that he bought and turned into a house. Oh come in on! In the in the countryside, and it's awesome. co- it's this co- giant cobblestone building that looks sort of castle like, except it has an old like slant roof, Hobbit kind of look to it. Yeah, it's just gorgeous. Ugh. I'm right there with you. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next category, let's do three bands that, whether they still exist or together or uh, have since broken up or are not alive any longer, three bands that uh, you get to just hang with and maybe you're there as like they're writing some of the songs and you sort of feel like an honorary bandmate. Maybe you even are a bandmate. It depends on how deep into this fantasy you want to go. Three right. bands that Hal gets to be a part of in some way or other from any time, any era whatever uh, all right um well obviously uh kiss original right? lineup yeah um i so badly want to see what your unique kiss makeup would be oh uh, yeah indeed i mean i uh, it, yeah that's it's, it's a good one <laughs> it would uh it'd be some sort of fusion between you know paul and ace more than likely yeah um definitely streaks of silver in it so nice. we'll work on it yeah yeah Great. um uh i would go with um genesis Nice. And because the songwriting process would just fascinate me and the conversations around that would be great. Yeah. And there and um and tool. Great. Love it. Wonderful. With, uh, no, with Faith No More running up in the end of the original lineup as well. They like kind of as a runner up. <laughs> nice. They don't they're not together yeah. right now. So yeah. You know, in that oh, Faith No More. Okay. Next one. Three foods that in this reality you know, for whatever reason, you probably aren't going to consume a ton of. It might be that you feel it's bad for the environment or it's just like, you know, your body, you know how it's going to make you feel. But if it didn't make you feel that way or if it didn't add certain elements to your flesh or fat, three delicious things that you can have in perpetuity with zero ramifications. Chocolate covered strawberries. Great. Um, a rare ribeye. Yep. And um, apples. Unexpected. Love it. Just an, just an apple. I, Great. I'm I yeah, Honeycrisp apples. I'm a big yeah. fan. Honeycrisp is the best. Uh, refrigerated. Yeah, got to keep it yeah. cold. That's part of the crisp process. Agreed. I know. Alternate universe, sexy times, romance. This could be a character, a real person, any time, any era. Sure. Whatever. Three of them. Mm-hmm. Okay. I guess one of the Avatar women. 
Okay. Um, Meg Ryan in Inner Space. Oh. And Cher uh, in Witches of Eastwick. Oh my God, Witches of Eastwick! What a delightful, horny movie that I was just oh, obsessed with my... for a, for a time. God, it's a great movie. I think it holds it's up. Great. It's oh. wonderful. Women, a mistake, or did he do it to us on purpose? Because I really want to know. Maybe there's something we can do about it. You know, 50 push-ups a day and you never have to be bothered with women ever again. Uh, so good. And he oh. barfs up all the cherry pits. He's like, oh, my God. it's a simple trick. I taught it to them myself. Yeah. She is so... She is so stupid sexy in that movie. I know, but I'm shocked that you were able to pick one because, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer is obviously darling. They definitely, like, they, you know, play her down a little bit then in some other ways. But then Susan Sarandon with her, like, cello eh, and not for you. She she was never the one for me. But, I like, yes, Michelle Pfeiffer, but in Wolf. Oh, another great one. Another great one. Smart-ass Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes. Rich woman, yes. you know. As a matter of fact, when I yes. mentioned the the horses, you like horses thing uh-huh. in my head. Literally, that's the stable that popped into my head in the visual yes. that accompanied my thought. I love it. I know exactly what you're talking about. I've seen that movie many times. They have peanut um, butter and jelly sandwiches and glasses yeah. of milk and oh yeah, it's crunchy peanut butter. You can tell by the fact that they're eating it, and it's just oh, she's yeah. so beautiful. She's so Stupid. beautiful. Um. Yeah, share. If, if memory serves, she has pigtails and overalls at some point in uh, mm-hmm. which is because she sculpts. Just uh, she yes. sculpts uh, fertility dolls. Yes, oh, but then God. later on, at the end, when they're all in their kind of witchiness, when they've just kind of where she's got the big yeah. if I could turn back <laughs> that hair, the the whole like oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. Okay. That whole out al- the blue album, forget it. Like the outfit she was wearing in the. Oh yeah, the- oh, yeah. Please, I hear please. you. I please. I absolutely hear you. Please, please, please. Still, still now, still now to this day. Yeah, she got right. it. She got yeah. it. All right, three. Let's do three comedians. You brought up a couple of them. Three comedians that you get to just kind of hang with for a couple of days, living or dead. Just chill with them. Get a yeah. sense of who they are. Um, Martin Short. Great for for certain. John Candy, um, and, and it's it's funny that I'm. I mean, do you mean stand ups or do you mean it could be yeah. anything? Yeah, just any I mean, funny person. Let's say, right? Madeline Kahn. Oh God, yeah, yes, indeed. Some some people I would bring up, but I've actually met them and interacted with them, so I feel like that's cheating. You could, yeah, you can check like it Dom, off a lot. Yeah, before I was known, before talk soup, before any of that stuff, I used to run Marianne Williamson's lectures. Oh, okay. Rando and uh, Dom DeLuise used to come on occasion. And I love Dom DeLuise uh, with a giant chunk of my heart yeah. at all times. And he's one of these purely funny people. He's yeah. just He just exudes joyful funniness in a way that was effortless. Yeah. You know, you watch somebody work at comedy and then you watch him or Madeline Kahn and it's just like, it like falls out of them. Yes. It's unbelievable. Yes. And... Uh, he once came up to me afterwards because I had like, I don't know, I to get I ran mics to everybody, too. And I would occasionally make little jokes to, about something somebody would had said. And I think I did a uh, I think I did a cartwheel like on the seats in the stands like like a maniac. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> um, and handed somebody a microphone and then did a handstand and then went off the other side, whatever. And I was like, you're welcome. And afterwards he came up and he was like, you are so funny. Oh, you're just funny. Moment. And I was like, ah, uh, it's you, it's you. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, so that's those kind of things. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, that's great. Well, we might give you, you might, you get, you're going to get another one. We'll see uh, which, mm-hmm. which of these absolute luminaries you'll end up with. Next mm-hmm. one, let's do uh, three alternate universe jobs that you would love oh. to have dabbled in. Um, well, I'm, I'm a closet physics nerd. Great. Um, so I would, uh, you know, I would have loved to have been the, the funniest guy that works at the Large Hadron Collider. Great. That's for real. Love it. Um, uh, let's see. Obviously, a an author. Uh, you know, I've always it's one of those things like a couple of times I almost lost my voice permanently from like over singing and just ruin it. I was like, I might never even be able to talk again. What am I going to do? Yeah. And I was like, well, if I was, you know, lost my voice and paralyzed and everything, I could still write somehow. I've absolutely and, had that same thought. Yeah. And so to have that that exists in yeah. a parallel universe. And then, of course, uh all my friends know this, that if I ever got to a position where I had nothing to lose, I would just be a masked vigilante. Great. Great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a, a nice, a nice mask, not yeah. just, you know, I'm not going to be like Batman year one forever. Right, I mean, I'm going to need, right. I'm going to eventually build up some skill because I'm going to kill some drug dealers and take their money. And then from that money, I'm going to, you know, get better and better weapons, gear and uh-huh. a better costume, a helicopter, a, you know, yeah. a, a motorcycle with the with the logo on the front of it. And sure. of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, all of that. Five year plan for growth. Minimum, minimum yeah. five years. You're going to yeah, be absolutely. soaring. Well, I'm, I've already put some of the work in. OK, good. I'm already. Yeah, I have a I have a, a like I already have a pack. I have a go bag. Great, 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 great. All right. Uh, second to last category, three places in time that you would be interested to see for yourself. You're in kind of a safety bubble, so it's not like you're in danger, but it could be a specific moment in time. Like, oh, now I, I myself have solved this mystery. Everyone can shut up about it. Or it could oh, be, oh. oh, I'd love to see Paris in the 30s or whatever. Right. Um, uh, the year 2350. Great. Um, is a good rando drop in the future because Absolutely. I, you know, I believe there will be um, a lot of uh, questions answered and stuff that I, I, I will I will walk through that world and go, told you, told you, told you, told you, told you. Um, the, the other time would be um, the, you know, the sort of the 11th century, the, um, you know, the period of the integration of the Scottish and Viking societies, mm-hmm. which was particularly ugly and yet gave birth to some very deep phil- philosophical ideas, which I find fascinating. Yeah. And, and um, the, you know, the period leading up to the American revolution, um, the time that that occurred that, yeah. you know, because I don't, I still think most modern people don't understand what a pivot point that was on planet earth. Yeah. Yeah. It just, Yeah. That's a great that's a great answer. Um final mm-hmm. category 3 movies that you can jump into. You're not reliving the plot, you're just in that world with those characters whenever you want. Oh. Oh, all right. That I'm not in. Um <laughs> Oh my god. 
Thanks. <laughs> and then and I don't know what happened. The Zoom just hung up and the whole file was deleted. I was don't weird. know what happened. So weird. An ego dump. Is that a thing? I think that's a thing. Um, if I could just be in the world so yeah. that it exists in. History of the World Part One. Great. Slash Blazing Saddles. I think they are, they're in the same universe. Sure. Um, Blade Runner. Yes. And um, I love Miller's Crossing. I feel like oh, every frame of that movie is a painting. It could yeah. you could hang you could literally just take a random cell from that and it would be art on a wall. Yeah. Every scene. Yeah. And so that's yeah that one. I mean, I obviously wouldn't want to be John Turturro in that situation. No. <laughs> you're, safe. Um, you're safe and good. And by the way, you could just you can keep him alive as long as you want. You can. I would want you, to, but I don't think you would. I don't think no. you would. He's awful. Uh, will you please give me a word that sort of helps describe your mood when you woke up this morning? Uh, curious. Great. Okay. I am going to, uh, use a very scientific process through which I will find out which of these things you received. Very exciting. I would love also for you to take this time to tell people what you're up to, where they can find you, what they should know, what they can enjoy. All things House Sparks, including right. and not limited to movies you don't need to jump into because you were already in them. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, I live stream every day at infotainmentwars.com on YouTube and twitch.tv slash House Sparks uh, concurrently. I'm also on Facebook. I, I spread that out everywhere. Um, the House uh, Sparks radio program Mega Worldwide is on Saturdays on WCPT in Chicago. It's been on for I've been on for 12 years approximately there. So I have a political talk show there and uh i also live stream that on my live stream channel uh this weekend i am my band nerd halen which is a van halen cover band where we dress up as nerds and sound just like the record um uh is performing in jackpot nevada and then we are going we we have a bunch of tour dates this fall uh it's very exciting nerdhalen.com and then of course i'm doing stand up at the san diego laugh factory next week and then i will be hosting uh the tuesday after that the ultimate jam night at the Whiskey A Go Go, which I have done many times in the past and sung and been a part of. And we will be, uh, the theme of the night will be Britain Rocks. So we'll be doing uh, English bands and uh, and their biggest rock songs. So I've, I've already requested a couple of tunes, but it'll be very exciting. Last time when I performed, I did Sober by Tool and uh, Rat Back for More. Oh, outstanding. And uh, yeah. And so, and my band Zero One has uh, a couple albums. Just, just look up Zero One, the word Zero, the number one with Hal Sparks. And uh, there you go. Ugh. That's it. so far. What so a multi hyphenate. I love it. Um, I, you're, we're cut from the same cloth, my friend. Yes, okay. indeed. I'm excited for the outcome of your alternate universe mash life. I think you're going to be uh -huh. very pleased with it. Um, yeah. Let me think about where to start here. First of all, I love the idea of you dipping into Blade Runner whenever you want to. I just love mm -hmm. you're going to get that movie, get that feeling all over you, but then you're going to come out and go, you know what I'm craving? A delicious and perfect ribeye steak that I'm going to sit down and eat with my buddy John Candy. Uh-huh. And we're just going to shoot the shit. And talk about, so he's probably going to have a question or two about my alternate life as a masked vigilante. Uh, that's the kind of job that, you know, your friends are going to want to hear about. You're going to have right. to s spill a little tea and have to tell people a little bit about what's going on. Uh, 
you certainly, I don't know, I won't call this a secret lair, but perhaps it comes in handy that you do have. Now, the apartment part is a little odd because when I imagine you in Scotland, I'm not necessarily imagining an apartment, but that is what you got. Uh, Mm -hmm. Neither a a mansion, shack, or house. You have an apartment. And uh, you can hang with and play with tool whenever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Blade Runner, feel free to come back and tell me what the year 2350 is like and all of the I told you so's that you were able to achieve there. Uh, All of this you are celebrating with the delightful and adorable Meg Ryan from Inner Space. So that's what's happening for you. I like it. You're welcome. I, I think it's fantastic. And You're by so the way, welcome. Deckard and Blade Runner had an apartment. He lived in a, you know, <gasps> You're up so right. Floor. And then, of course, uh, um, the uh, the replicants go yeah. to live with JF Sebastian. Yes. In, in the in an old hotel downtown. Oh, I love an apartment. I was just imagining you on the Scottish Highlands, so I I, I had yes. to sort of imagine how the, the apartment would fit in. Well, but you can also be in a city. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can also. Uh, it could be a uh, sort of a. Tony Stark like tower. Yes. Um, with built out of the remnants of an old castle. Yes. So very, very glass and steel coming yes. up out of the old remnant space. This with is a wall it. around it. And then the top apartment with a landing pad, you know, for for the the Sparks copter. That's that, it. Yeah. That's it. You nailed it. Hi, I Sparks. Have my, oh, oh, tell me, Hold tell on. me. Let me show you. This yes, is, please. Uh, I'll, I'll see it's down here. I'll find a good one. I have several colors. So hold on. I actually have my own superhero symbol have oh, for a long time you in, lucky bastard yes in in multiple versions i give these patches to my uh patreon supporters and then they if they wear them they can come to a show for free oh, awesome. uh, and, and bring a guest but this symbol i drew in high school it's like an escher print of four yeah. entwined arrows yeah and i drew this my acting teacher was saying, why do you need to act and do comedy and write and, you know, and sing? Why all of that? Why can't you just focus on acting? Cause you're so good at it. And I said, because it informs all the other parts of me and without them, I'm not a whole person. And I drew this symbol to show her that the overlapping tug and pull between all these arrows makes me who I am. Yeah. And so since I was in high school, this has represented my sort of spiritual being to myself. That's awesome. And so a few years ago, I had these patches made Um, and uh, and I'm going to I have one. on. I have a logo on my motorcycle that has this on there already. Um, And uh, and I even the the gray one is the stealth version because Uh a little bit Batman, I will say. Uh Um, (laughs) But that. But the, it's also a constant reminder to myself. This symbol is always a reminder to me that every aspect of your personality is important, not just the ones you weaponize or economize mm-hmm. or commodify. Yeah. You, your, your weaknesses balance out your strengths in, in making you human. Your, your hobbies and your procrastination inform how you see other people. Mm-hmm. And so even those weaknesses, you're like, I wish I would do my goals a little better or I, or I'm too focused on this one thing. That's part of, that's also uh, your recognition of those things. And you're not, you know, looking at them full and, and, and with full awareness Yeah, allows you to let other people off the hook for their shortcomings. It's why I have never in my life ever felt road rage Yeah, ever. Yeah. Because who would I to presume to know the path of this car 
where they came from, where they're going. It's, and that's the day I'll pass them and I'll go, you, mu-. and then it's a pregnant woman and her husband's going, please, oh, you know, uh, totally. right? So I would never yeah. presume to have all the details that are in someone else's life that are tugging yeah. and pulling at them because I'm aware of the ones that I yes. have. And I'm constantly a big fan of my own self because with all those things tugging in opposite directions, I still manage to move forward as Hal Sparks, as myself. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. That's lovely. Thanks for um, having me. I got to design a superhero logo for myself. Yes, you I'm do. I'm a little uncomfortable that I can't volunteer that already. I'm ama- yeah. How I'm amazed. What I've been doing. Oh, right. Boy. I'm amazed you don't have one. <laughs> I, it, it, you should. I mean, at the very least, you should do some sigil work. I got to um, do it. I got to yeah. do it. I got to get sigil work going. Yeah, right. Post haste. Yeah, exactly. Go watch Grant Morrison's uh, <laughs> speech at the DisinfoCon on uh, on on making sigils he's okay. a com- comic book artist he's scottish he's hysterical <gasps> nice um and his story is fantastic if only just to listen to him speak in with a scottish with accent broke. oh absolutely yeah. i'm there you'll, i gotta look yeah, it up you'll be fanning yourself you know within minutes <laughs> all right thanks again hal appreciate it bye The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and Culture Artist owned, audience supported.